0: hello and welcome
1: to the friday january 15th 2020 edition of on iowa Public. Uh we're 15 days into this new year so far it's not living up to my expectations
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's your fault for having expectations well yeah, exactly
1: <laughs> this week the governor the legislature and impeachment talk about an unholy trinity uh, <laughs> I'm James Lynch with the Cedar Rapid Gazette. And with me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom.
0: Good morning, James.
1: Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy.
3: Good morning, James.
1: Aaron Murphy Lee, Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Gorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics, wherever you find your podcasts. First up, the legislators are back. Ignoring health warnings about mass gatherings, the Iowa legislature has returned to the Iowa Capitol. In addition to the usual wrangling about school aid, tax cuts, and expanding gun rights, lawmakers appear to be gearing up to do battle over mask wearing. Mask or face coverings aren't required at the Capitol because although the legislature can force members to wear ties and jackets, GOP leaders say they can't enforce a mask mandate. And we know how Republicans dislike mandates, unless they like them. So, Aaron, (laughs) you've braved
2: the front lines of the mask conflict. (laughs) What does it look like at the Capitol? Uh, Well, that that first day especially, it looked very frightening uh, because uh, on top of the scene, as as you kind of described it with the – mask recommended but optional. Um, That option was being used by many. Um, But on top of it, that first day, uh, we got to celebrate the kickoff of the legislative uh, session with a rally from people who were protesting uh, mask wearing and other public health mandates. And so they packed into the Capitol hundreds at a time, shoulder to shoulder, uh, not a, one of them wearing masks. So uh, that was um, uh, made for an uneasy morning, uh, to say the least. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, it's the thing that um, can legitimately concerns me, and, and not even for myself or other people, is um, this virus is still very much out there. Um, not wearing masks is uh, proven, to be um, a, a way to just enable this thing to spread even faster. And we've got a lot of folks in that building who are you know older or have health conditions. I mean, we, we've already seen um, multiple, if uh, I wanna say even approaching a handful of state legislators across the country who have died from COVID after after um, being exposed to it in the state capitol. Um, we knew that before this session started. So, so that information was available and uh, and the rules are still uh, as lax as they are in, in the Iowa Capitol. So um, it, it's concerning and it, it really is. And uh, um, you know, you can take all the precautions for folks who want to err on the side of caution and, and I'm sure they are. I know I did <clears throat> um, and will any days that I go back to the Capitol Um uh, but it's it's still kind of a, a, a almost a, a literal game of Russian roulette that is being played at the Capitol right now,
3: and it was similar to the the U.S. Capitol, right? When they had to, you know, bog down with um, in their safe places with you know other Republicans, Democrats have come out and said this is what's causing people to to miss work and and test positive for COVID was because they they were in these rooms. So it's it's happening everywhere. You are totally right.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: and for me, it's been striking as I watch this. You know, on the live stream, um, it's hard to get a good sense of how many people are wearing masks. But I've been surprised at how many uh, lawmakers, including re- Republicans, are wearing face coverings. But that's offset, like you said, Aaron, by elderly lawmakers who aren't wearing masks. And I mean, to me, like at the condition of the judiciary everyone up there on the dais had a a mask on except the senate president jake chapman and Mm -hmm. watching committee meetings i've noticed that nearly everyone in the room that i can see on the live stream has a mask but not the chairman who is sitting shoulder to shoulder with other members (laughs) And i I mean it just doesn't make any sense and i mean it calls into question the leadership of the gop leaders who said they would strongly urge their members to wear masks well it doesn't look like they're <laughs> following the, the strong urging um,
2: was was that on this podcast last week when we made the my cousin vinny yeah uh, yeah. Reference? yeah yeah it it kind of, it kind of bears repeating or no not my cousin vinny um a few good a men a good man yeah. i object i object overruled i strongly object oh well no. well let me think about
4: it <laughs> well it's like it's it's like so much of the pandemic response overall that, you know, you've got health experts on one side that are saying we need to do this list of things, but the policy is driven by kind of the nothing to see here folks, the, mm-hmm. you know, the people who don't think we should be doing much, we should be open. This is not a big deal. It's just amazing to to watch how many policy decisions are just, you know, tied to this minority view that it's, you know, not a big deal. And at the Capitol, of course, it's the majority view because yeah. controls the joint.
1: exactly but Amy uh, this uh, battle over wearing masks may be over soon uh, because lawmakers apparently are a priority population along with people with disabilities prison correctional officers teachers and food production workers yeah so wonder that's right. which one of these is not like the other <laughs>
3: Well, you know, there's an argument to be made for um, the people that you you elected to represent you and and make the laws and and make the budgets and and make sure everything is still working at your state government level to be vaccinated. But that seems to fly in the face of um, the fact that that a lot of them are are simply maybe not a lot of them, maybe just some of them are just simply disregarding basic health protocols and be I think people are right to say, why should you be a priority um, in the in the phase one B, along with people over seventy five years old, along with individuals with disabilities, along with you know people living in in settings like um, prisons and, and congregate settings like shelters, um, when you're simply disregarding that? When you when you're saying why should we wear them because it's not a big deal? Let's roll the dice. But oh, by the way, please let's get the vaccine quickly.
1: Yeah. I want to go to the front of the line. Yeah. Uh, As committee started meeting this week, minority Democrats uh, offered amendments to the House rules to require face coverings in committee meetings. Uh, For anybody that attends in person, uh, spoiler alert, they were not successful. Um, The battle now appears to be moving to the actual adoption of House rules as soon as next week. However, House Majority Leader Matt Winchester said Thursday he hasn't scheduled that debate. Um, it, it's sure to be interesting when it, when, it, well, even in committee and then when it gets to the floor, because I'm sure that we're going to, there'll be a lot of amendments and a lot of discussion, um, which sort of, uh, as we're talking about this and, uh, other than Aaron, who has braved going into the Capitol, <laughs> uh, the rest of us are a fine line, line
2: between brave and stupid.
1: Well, <laughs> well, we, we know which side you're on.
2: <laughs> I won't ask you to clarify that.
5: <laughs>
1: but all of this sort of drives home the importance of the legislature tackling the digital divide here in Iowa, and House Speaker Pat Grassley created an Information Technology Committee which ironically had technical challenges that left members participating remotely, unable to join the discussion because they're in a listen-only mode.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Tom, can't make uh, this stuff up. what are the prospects for uh, progress uh, on that front?
0: I think they're good. Uh, This is a bipartisan issue. Both Republicans and Democrats have said that they intend to push forward um, additional funding and legislation to facilitate continued expansion of high-speed internet access across the state, uh, with more and more Iowans working and learning from home and accessing medical care online. Um, And Republicans who control the General Assembly, as well as the governor, um, have made clear that this is a priority Uh, As you mentioned, House Speaker Pat Grassley established um, the new committee to examine broadband and cybersecurity issues and focus on state technology infrastructure. Um, And again, lawmakers from both sides of the aisle have said um, broadband has been on their radar, and indeed it was last session with lawmakers increasing the maximum grant amount available to service providers. But as uh, Iowa House Speaker Grassley said, the pandemic has amplified the need to address gaps in broadband service. Um, and, quote, uh, put them right in our face. And Governor Reynolds, in her condition of the state address, proposed uh, $450 million in state funding over the next four years to achieve the goal of getting affordable, high-speed broadband internet access to all corners of Iowa. Um, The governor, in her speech, said, quote, I'm done taking small steps and hoping for big change. This is the time for bold action and leadership. Uh, Let's plant a stake in the ground and declare that every part of Iowa we'll have affordable high-speed broadband by 2025. Um, Whether lawmakers will fully jump on board and uh, approve that large of an investment, uh, I think remains up in the air. Um, They've been reluctant in the years past to fully grant previous funding requests by the governor for um, broadband expansion grants in the state. Um, And there are other Republican priorities, you know, jacking for attention and funding, but lawmakers seem receptive to the governor's proposal Um, And there's added pressure on lawmakers from Iowans to seriously tackle the issue in a meaningful way as they've encountered issues and become dissatisfied with the level of service available in some areas of the state. Um, And and that has only been, you know, magnified and compounded by the, the pandemic with everything from schooling to work to doctor consultations and entertainment going virtually. And when they see neighbors in other communities that have high speed service available and they don't, um, their frustration is just going to grow. Um, so I think I think there is um, good prospects and good chance to see some some progress on that front.
1: Yeah, the, the first committee meeting uh, that Information Technology Committee, um, there was a lot of talk about how basically they. There's a lot of agreement on this, and uh, uh, Representative Dave Williams from Cedar Falls uh, compared it to sort of the rural electrification uh, back in the 1930s, where uh you know reaching those hard to reach places reaching the last miles uh so everybody uh has uh high speed internet connections and and i yeah it's pretty clear talking to legislators that uh, the pandemic has uh sort of uh heightened their awareness of of this issue.
0: Um, I, I think it's become clear where in years past, you know, some lawmakers may have seen high speed broadband as maybe a luxury. This pandemic has definitely shown that it is, in fact, a necessity and needs to be viewed in, in light of um, the importance of other utilities. And, and you mentioned, you know, electricity, for example. So I, I think that there is, is definitely going to be more of a, a, an impetus this session to try. and and get something passed and and something a little bit more robust and substantial than um, some of the bills and the funding that have been um, passed in previous sessions.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Uh, The $450 million for broadband was uh, probably one of the highlights of uh, Governor Kim Reynolds' uh, annual condition of state speech that she delivered uh, Tuesday night. Um, it, it was uh, the most unusual condition of the state address I've seen in more than 20 years of covering the legislature. Uh, typically, I would have been watching from the press bench. The House chamber and galleries would have been packed. Uh, there would have been some some degree of pomp uh, and much more applause and standing ovations, at least from the governor's party. Um, <laughs> Reynolds' slow wooden delivery didn't help. Uh, <laughs> uh, her speech, but, uh, Todd, uh, if Reynolds gets poor marks for delivery, how do you grade the content? Uh, but, but first I have to say, I was surprised the governor didn't mention you in her condition of the state speech or invite you to the speech, perhaps uh, a seat next to the maskless Senator Chapman.
4: Yeah, that, would have been, <laughs> that would have been, that would have been very nice. I would have been honored, frankly, but yeah, the speech was, you know, it had its good points. Uh, we just talked about broadband i mean she talked about the need to address uh the shortage of childcare in the state and to uh you know look at ways to build the workforce and affordable housing and she wants to ban racial profiling uh, by police and uh there was some talk of rural health care needing some help and, and mental health funding <clears throat> excuse me all all good areas uh but on the flip side you know she mentioned this racial profiling ban but then also talked about enhanced penalties for rioters that you know might assault a police officer. I mean, there are already good laws on the books that address that. This, this sounds more to me like she's playing to the, uh, the part of her party that you know sees the, the Black Lives Matter protests as somehow equivalent to the folks storming the, the Capitol, uh, hoping to lynch the vice president. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see that as being very comparable, but that's, you know, it's her speech. Uh, she also she also had a lot of praise for you know individual public schools that did these great things, but but sort of the thanks they got then the public schools what was this uh, she's going to take away their uh, she's going to force them to allow students all students to leave via open enrollment if they without you know limits there are, there's a handful of districts that have sort of diversity plans that try to keep. Uh, Higher income students from abandoning the district, leaving it with just you know kids that are getting free and reduced lunch. Uh, She wants to allow people to take you know state funded vouchers to to pay for private school, uh, which has been a controversial uh, topic for a long time, and it's been floated in the past. And it's it it feels like she's using the the pandemic as sort of a pretext for something that they haven't been able to get done in the past. and, and and also she, you know, talked about charter schools, which might not be too bad. We have to see the details of that. And uh, but, you know, I, I sort of, the, you know, aside from the public school stuff and this uh, and this, uh, you know, enhancement of penalties against people rioting, uh, I think on balance there was there's some stuff to work with that could actually be done in a bipartisan manner. But, uh, you know. As we've seen in the past, sometimes her bipartisan message at the beginning of a session kind of takes a backseat soon to uh, far more partisan issues.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I, I found interesting is that many of her uh, priorities—broadband, uh, increased funding for mental health, um, uh, and housing and childcare—are are issues that. Um typically we we wouldn't think of as Republican issues, but Republicans really have uh um at least offered um some proposals in recent years on those. I mean the House uh has passed a, a child care tax credit uh program and has a number of proposals um uh, you know for employers who provide child care at their facilities, those types of things. Yeah. Um,
2: that. Well, and I think Jim, Sorry, just
1: to, sorry, okay. I don't mean
2: to interrupt, but just to put a quick hit on that note, I, I think what's happening here is, and I don't mean to sound cynical, but there's <laughs> plenty of evidence to support my cynicism. Is that's happening because you're seeing more and more businesses get behind um, those those kinds of issues, and they're talking mm-hmm. about meeting their our workforce and and those kinds of things are keeping people um, out of the workforces. So so businesses and and the types of Uh, groups and organizations that typically support Republicans in elections are are starting to push those issues, which is why they're starting to show up in the Republican agenda now in in lawmaking. Exactly. These are coming uh, from the bottom up. Uh, It's not so much a
1: leadership from the top down, but I mean, I think you're absolutely right that businesses are saying they need to expand the workforce. They need to be able to have people, uh, you know, especially women with children, uh, get them back into the workforce. Those sorts of things, and so they need childcare. The workforce housing issue—it um, seems to be especially uh, driven by people in some of the smaller communities around the state, where you know they say that there hasn't been a house built in ten years, you know, uh, or an apartment building. Uh, I think that was the example the governor uses in, in some community where there hadn't been a, an apartment building built forever. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of interesting to watch how these are coming up. Uh, and like you said, Aaron, from you know the people who typically support Republicans, um, that were there other highlights or lowlights uh, people heard in this speech? Um, we've talked about some of the, the governor's priorities. Were there things that weren't mentioned um, that people found interesting?
2: I I just, uh, and and not to sound all media groupthink here, but um, I I kind of agree with the uh, discussion and and, uh, more broadly, the the way I came out of it, my reaction was it was interesting to hear um, both some things that, uh, some issues as we've talked about that uh, should and probably will have a lot of bipartisan support behind them and then also um, sprinkled in some, Uh, topics that are going (laughs) to very much drive a partisan wedge uh, through the state house. So it was kind of an interesting, to me anyways, an interesting mix of both of of those uh, kinds of topics. Uh, You know, I know Democrats wanted to hear um, uh, more about the pandemic and the state's response. Um, But uh, that, that was kind of my uh, 35,000 foot view of things.
1: In a lot of ways, this is the kickoff of the governor's re-election campaign. Uh, it, it's not intended to be a political speech, but it, it is sort of like the starting gate. Um, how did how did this sound uh, in terms of uh, building a, a re-election campaign? Was was this a good start or?
2: Um... Yeah, that's a that's a good way, and and we could loop in last year's uh, condition of the state addressed. It, Into that discussion a little bit too, because she made um, the the big pitch with the invest in Iowa proposal that uh, you know lowered taxes, shifted mental health funding to the state, um, and to put money into water quality projects. So, so a a really big proposal that had uh, little pieces in it that a lot of different people will like. Uh, That's something she'll be able to take out of the on the campaign and say, "Here, here is." issues that I talked about and I proposed and I pushed for and, and then this year's address uh, kind of adds to that list. So I think you're absolutely right that that's a good way to look at that. And uh, and again, um, apologies for being cynical, uh, but you, the, the cynic view of it could be that that's really the only reason that uh, um, those issues were in there that maybe they were pie in the sky type proposals, but they're the kinds of things that if you put in a condition of the state address, you can go out on the campaign trail and, and tell people, a whole lot of people who like any number of those issues that uh, you were, you have proposed those things.
3: Erin, do you think it matters if the legislature actually takes up any of her proposals? Because, I mean, as we're seeing in the beginning of the legislature right now, they're taking proposals that she never mentioned like um, a new death penalty for, you know, someone that right. you know, <laughs> and kills a minor or, you know, the gay panic defense, which arguably doesn't need to be a law since it's, it's already not really being used around here. Is that mattering
2: to her? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good question. And f- from the campaign standpoint, the answer is no. I mean, it, it would be a bigger feather in her cap if she got one of these things, you know, to her desk and signed into law. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as you've made the public statement, you can go out on the campaign trail and say, Hey, I've been trying, you know, uh, talk to those lawmakers. Uh, they're the reason it hasn't gotten done. But uh, uh, I, I told them these are the things I want.
3: Is it, is it, she's got the Republican majority. Is that a factor too? Because if she didn't, obviously she could say, well, I tried, but does the, well, I tried thing fly when she's got majorities majority? Uh
2: <laughs> that's a really good question. And my answer might be different than the, uh, the average, you know, reader voter. Um, because my view of it is th- that, that is a fair point to make an easy thing to say, but also these are, um, really unique Republican caucuses, even a separate from themselves, uh, much less, uh, there any differences they might have with the governor. So, um, on paper, yes, that is, um, a, a fair question, uh, but boy, if you've covered these two Republican caucuses uh, at all, you know that uh, um, while they agree on a lot of things, there are there is plenty uh, uh, in which that they they don't see eye to eye that that does get in the way of a, a number of these types of things.
3: I was just wondering if she's going to have
2: a primary challenge because of that.
1: That kind I've heard mumbling about that, but it it seems I'm not sure uh, where the primary challenge would come from. um, And it doesn't seem like it would be successful, uh, at least from what I I was just
2: pointing. Yeah, there's a difference between a primary challenge and a serious primary challenge. Yeah. Sure. I think
1: it, it, it does put the governor in a situation where it makes it harder, uh, running for reelection when she has the majority, uh, Republican majority in both the Senate and the house. If mm-hmm. she can't get them to go along with her, um, you know, it's not like she can go out and say, Hey, give me a majority and I can get these things done. It's like, you have a majority and you can't get these things done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it, it does make it harder for, in that sense, um, Fortunately, I think from her standpoint, she's sort of laying out an agenda that the the Republicans should be able to get behind. Uh, maybe not give her four hundred and fifty million dollars for broadband. Uh, the, the Republican method seems to be they'll give her, you know, fifteen million this year and promise uh, you know, fifteen or hundred and fifty million the next year, et cetera. And then, you know, uh They'll, they'll see a shiny object next year and move on to something else. But um, it, she's laid out an agenda that they should be able to get behind and and, and give her at least a half a loaf Um go will campaign on. Um, you know, as we've talked about before, she has didn't mention her invest in Iowa plan uh, that was the centerpiece last year. Um, and now uh, that doesn't seem to be uh, on her agenda or at least high on the agenda. So, uh, you know, that's already sort of a casualty of not being able to bring Republicans along with her. Speaking of, uh, whether or not you can bring Republicans along with you, uh, let's move to Congress, uh, where <laughs> Republicans are going to be asked to impeach their president, our president, uh,
2: Uh, Segway uh, Hall of Fame right there There
1: there we go, yeah, Donald (laughs) Trump Historical presidency is Nearing its end um, But Democrats seem intent on Letting him not get away Uh, The House Democrats And a handful of Republicans uh, Made Trump the first president in history To be impeached twice That seems like the kind of winning That even Trump could get tired of
0: Um, (laughs) Wow, (laughs)
1: There remain many questions of whether the Senate will conduct a trial or even whether it can hear the case for impeachment once Trump leaves office. Um, Something tells me the new Senate Democratic majority won't let uh, that stand in their way. Todd, um, over the past four years, we've used a lot of terms like unconventional, unusual, norm-busting, atypical, unorthodox, and bizarre uh, to describe this president. So is this a fitting way for Trump to go out?
4: Yeah, it's a it's a fitting way for him to go out of, based on the list that you that you read. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see going forward how uh, this is received, you know, in the public as far as impeaching him, trying him after he's out of office. Although I think the goal is to, you know, keep him from holding public office again, which I think a fair number of the uh, a fair slice of America would be in, pretty much in favor of. Uh, so you know it's 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 unusual it's it's norm breaking it's unconventional it's <laughs> norm busting as you say and uh it's it's definitely going to be something that you know this is a memorable presidency both for all the things that happened and and also so that we don't ever let it happen again and uh that's uh, so i guess in, in that vein if we if we decide not to elect Another reality TV star as our president—that that that would probably be a, a good, a good uh, result from all of this. <laughs> and and and, uh, and no more Trumps, maybe. I mean, you know, if 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 Donald can't run, I don't really think. I think we should take, you know, the impeachment should apply to the whole family. <laughs> be, Don Junior, Eric. Hey.
1: But Barron, you know, I mean, Barron, you got to give him a chance. He's just a kid, you know.
4: That's great. Right. <laughs> well, it's like, well, Barron, Barron, I suppose. We could wait,
1: wait. I mean, who, who wouldn't vote for a president named Barron?
2: <laughs> a good point. I mean, I yeah. remember when
4: the Republicans were the family values party and, you know, this was a family without a lot of values. So they maybe they could just take them all out.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting that the, the, the Republican argument against impeachment is that this just further divides the country that it fans the flames of, you know, uh, of all this division. The, the one thing that you touched on, Todd, that I think maybe Republicans might go along with is the idea that this will prevent Trump from ever running again, uh, because there is that fear that, you know, in 2024, he might mount a campaign and run for president again.
4: Yeah, well there was a uh, poll out this week that showed him a GOP primary poll for twenty twenty four that showed him pretty far ahead. So I mean, of course that's ridiculously early and yeah, you know, all the other things that you say about an early poll, but uh yeah, I mean he's gonna be a political force if he especially if he can still run again, if he can still dangle that possibility out there. I mean, that's he's you know, he's got a constituency. As far as dividing the country, I mean we just Watch the Capitol being invaded. Uh, you know, it, what? How much more divided can it really get? I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, Ooh, don't jinx I, us. I don't yeah. I
4: mean, I mean, seriously, it's just it's yeah. I mean, an entire I don't know what percentage of the country thinks they'll just thinks the last election was stolen. I don't know that impeaching it's, the president is gonna or not impeaching the president's gonna make that any better.
1: Yeah, they're not going to go. That's away. A
3: significant percentage.
1: People that think that—that's scary. But I mean, you know, it seems like uh, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and some of those folks are going to vote for impeachment just to clear the field, uh, so Trump isn't (laughs) eligible in four years. Yeah,
4: those guys.
1: So keep an eye, keep on an eye on those folks when it's time to vote.
2: Of course, that's good advice, just generally speaking, too.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, on
2: those folks. Keep an eye on all of them.
1: <laughs> well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you like it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. And send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Blue City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Porch Builder will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, set us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Amy, Tom, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.